0: Full disclaimer, when I shared with our staff that we were going to begin a new series called I Love Jesus, um, the, the response was mixed. So I recognize it may, the title may be a little corny, and that just fits me because I'm a little corny. But what I want to do today and over the next few weeks is I want us to focus on what is the purpose of us coming together. What is the reason for all of this that we do? It is all about love. It really is. This weekend is certainly about celebrating that Jesus gave his life on the cross. He rose from the dead, giving us eternal life with him forever for those who would accept him, believe in him, confess their sins, and repent of them. That is what Easter is about. But it is more than just a transaction to get us into heaven What we want to talk about is the reality that everything you read in Scripture, everything that this weekend is about, and every weekend and every minute of every moment of every day that has ever or will ever exist is about the reality that God loved us. God loved us. It's very easy for us to accept that if we have had lives that go pretty well according to plan, if, if everything's going well and we're happy and we were loved by our families and our jobs are pretty decent jobs and we have friends around us that love us and we love them, it's not hard to look at God and say, God is a God of love and God loves me. However, one of the struggles I think people have today is moving beyond the religious drudgery of trying to please him. And so we've got all kinds of these things that we do every day that we try to please God. Whether that be, well, did I pray enough today? Did I read enough of the Bible today? Did I go to church This week, you know, did I give some money in the offering? Have I pleased God today because He loves me and I want to be sure that He knows that I believe in Him and when I die, I want to go to heaven with Him. But the reality is that there are a lot of people that do that every day and every week and they never come to the place where Jesus ultimately wanted us to come and that was not that we just said God loves us. But instead we come to the place where we say, I love Jesus. So as we go through this today, I want to share a very, uh, it's not an unknown story. It's not necessarily a popular story, but I want to share some things that you may not be aware of. Now, it is very easy to love people that are lovable, right? People that are like us, people that like us. It's really easy to love somebody that loves us. When they love us, it's just natural. Now, there are some people that are not so easy to love, right? Do not elbow anybody in the room. But I know there are some people that are not easy to love. You're accusing yourself. Okay, you're, you're self-admitting right now. That's right. Okay, repent and repent be made new. It's all right. You can do it. There are some people that it's just hard to love. Now, if you ask Deidre, Deidre will tell you there are. Sometimes I am really lovable. There are sometimes I'm not. I'm not going to tell you which one I'm most often. But there are sometimes I'm not very lovable. When we get stressed, we're not very lovable. When we're having a bad day, we're not very lovable. Whenever you're ready to pull in to the closest space to Walmart and somebody beats you there, that person's not very lovable, which is kind of funny. The only thing that's funnier than that is whenever you go to a gym and people circle to the parking lot trying to get the closest space to the door, and it's like they don't get it, which is only eclipsed by the fact that they have to finish their cigarette before they go into the gym. To get their cardio on. There are some people it's just hard to love. And you go to work and you have worked hard and there's a promotion coming up for somebody and you're not sure who. But you have put in your time and you've done the work. And somebody else who was just hired gets the promotion instead of you. That person not very lovable, right? And let's be honest, you're probably not all that lovable at that moment either. There are some family members that we love because we are contractually and biologically obligated to love them. And yet regularly when we spend time with them, they show us why they are unlovable. (laughs) Right? It's easy to love people that are like us. It's easy to love people that give back to us. It's easy to love people who have their lives together. One of the wonderful things that we read about Jesus and the reality of Easter and the reality of his death, his burial, and his resurrection was he didn't just love the people that had their stuff together, right? But he loved everybody. Broken, dirty, ugly, unclean. He loved everybody. So I want to share with you a story. A story that no one loved. Someone that no one loved. Jesus was the first one to love her. And her response to him was such overwhelming, powerful love for him that we read about it not only in Scripture, but Jesus says, "At any moment that someone is going to recount the details of his crucifixion, burial and resurrection, her story should be told with it." So if you have your Bibles, if you don't, you can flip to you version on your phone, you can follow along there. We're going to be in Luke chapter seven. Now I just want to preface this by beginning. Give me a little bit of background about this woman. We're going to be talking about the sinful woman today. And some of you guys are going, I'm off the hook. Gender makes no difference. We are all the sinful woman. The sinful woman is a story that we read that she's going to come and she's going to pour an alabaster jar of expensive perfume on Jesus. And yet what many scholars tell us is likely and what we can guess is likely is she is not just a woman in this story, but she is actually the woman who was brought out to Jesus who was going to be stoned for adultery. That famous passage, that famous story, whenever he would say, Stop, whoever of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And they all dropped their stones and they walked away because they knew they were not without sin either. It's a woman who had made a living out of prostitution, and you know as well as I do, nobody enters into the world dreaming about their lives ahead of them, thinking, I want to be a prostitute. Nobody does that. Nobody begins to sit down and put together a business plan on how you can be the best prostitute in the area. And yet many people choose that. In fact, we've just read in the news, or we've seen in the news at a college campus not too far from here, Some at that college attempted to pay for their college through prostitution. Now, we do know that it can be lucrative. For this woman, apparently it was. As we begin this story, I want you to have in mind her before Jesus, accused of adultery. They are wanting to stone her, and for the first time, a man has seen her. Not for what she does, but for who she is. A man has looked upon her and has loved her, has shown her respect, has let her know you are valuable, you are a person, you are no worse, you are no less than anybody else around here. And his show of love changed her to the point that we read later, In Luke chapter 7, you're going to read an account similar to this in every gospel. A couple of them are a little bit different, but they all are essentially the same details. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36, says, One of the Pharisees asked him, which is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him for she is a sinner. Now, you've probably heard this story before. And you've probably heard the story of her love for Jesus and she poured out this alabaster jar of perfume. What you may not have thought about or may not have heard before is the background of this woman. Now, perfume was expensive. And what we'll read later is that this perfume was valued at about 300 denarii. Now, a denarii was about a day's wage. So this jar of perfume was about a year's worth of salary. And so when she came and she began to pour it, there was a terrible response. In every account, there's a terrible response. Some by the Pharisees, some by Jesus' own apostles. What are you doing? Don't pour this out. If you had something worth a year's wages, and it was consumable, then you would have to think about, what am I going to, can I sell it? Can I give it to the poor if I want to do something that's honoring of my relationship with God? What, what should I do with this? I mean, I can pay off debt. I can do all kinds of incredible things with this. And for her, she broke it and she poured it. Now, it is an incredible moment of worship, and it is everything that you've probably heard about this story before. However, what you may not have ever considered is why would she have had this jar? A woman who was a sinner in the community. A woman that if Jesus had been a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman she was, which, newsflash, he did. But this particular perfume was one that was often held by prostitutes. So that when you were walking through the market, if you had this perfume, it would allow possible customers to recognize somebody's working today. And so as she comes and she weeps at the feet of the teacher who showed her love, who demonstrated to her, you have value. It doesn't matter what you do, what your past is. It doesn't matter how much sin is in your life. I love you and I see you. What often happens if you are living in a life of brokenness When someone shows you love, you have no choice but to respond in kind. Because it's so rare. It's so needed. There's a hole that needs to be filled. And so as she pours this perfume on him, she is not just anointing him. She is not just showing love. She is not just worshiping him in that moment. She is ending her career because that was her calling card. And as she poured it on Jesus, we learned something that each one of us may know somewhere deep in our hearts, but it may be packed over by layers of hurt. It may be packed over by layers of church drudgery. It may be packed over by all kinds of pain that you've experienced in life, but we know deep down inside, He loves us. And I want to love Him back. You know, it is so common in life. It is so much easier to love someone who loves us. When we go out as Christians and we believe that we are supposed to love people, and sometimes we don't know how to love people, and some people are really conscientious and they talk about, well, I'm not going to enable people, so I'm not going to love that person the way they want me to love them, but I don't really know how to love them, and I, mean, I don't want to cozy up and watch Netflix with them, so I'm not real sure how I'm supposed to love them. And, Yet what he shows us over and over again is that the most broken, most unclean, most difficult person, they sometimes first just need to experience love from us before they will ever be lovable themselves. Because that's what Jesus did. As we look at her story, Jesus loved this woman first. He loved her first. And in turn, because of his love, she didn't do something out of duty. In turn, she loved him first back and if you're here today and you're struggling with well it's easter so i I came to church because it's easter and i got everybody dressed up and you know but i really would just have been fine sleeping in today and just this is just another sunday and that what i know about your struggle right now is that somehow your burden to fulfill religious duty has overcome what jesus always wanted most for and from you and that is your love It is our love that he seeks. At Easter, it is a story of love. It is not a story of an acquisition of a people out of hell. It is a story of a God who said, I love you. I will come for you. I will give you everything I can. And his desire was that we would love him back. She understood the value of his love. She understood it because she understood how broken she was. She knew how much she hurt but it has to be at the core of every person that knows Christ is a sense of brokenness. I don't like brokenness. I like to feel good and confident and strong. I do not like to feel broken, weak, and out of control. Anybody else? I do know a few people who do like to feel weak, broken, and out of control. I mean, they just kind of enjoy it and want everybody to know how weak, broken, and out of control they are. But most people struggle with that. And it's truly an experience like she had with Jesus that shines a light on who we are and what we have become that we really want to reach out to Him. One of the misconceptions about Jesus and about knowing Him and about having a relationship with Him is that somehow you have to get everything together before you can know Christ. But the truth is, you do not have to be pure to be loved by Jesus. You do not have to be pure. To be loved by Jesus. You have a, a history of abuse in your past. You have a history of addiction in your past. You have a, a, a history of lust. Or some kind of sexual sin in your past. Or your present. You have something going on that you're ashamed of. And you don't want anybody to know. And you feel that before Jesus. I cannot bear these things. Because I am impure. And yet what we see in this story. Of Jesus' love for her. And this beautiful return of her love for him what we see is that you don't have to be pure to be loved is one of the worst misconceptions of the gospel that exists today that somehow i cannot know jesus until i stop doing all these bad things the truth is is we often can't stop doing many of those things until we do know him if depression is a part of your history you unfortunately rarely feel loved Instead, you feel all alone, like no one cares. And Jesus loves you no matter what. Even on those days you want to give up, Jesus loves you. What I do also know in my own faith and watching many of you is that if you do love Jesus, you don't have to be pure to be loved by him, but if you do love him, you will seek purity. Purity. It's an incredible response that moves us away from the Ten Commandments. It moves us away from, well, my preacher said I was supposed to do this. It moves us away from the disappointing stares you get from others, so I guess I need to change this about me. And instead, you begin to change everything about the way you see Jesus to the point where you say, I love him, therefore I want to be like him. I will tell you, you will exhaust yourself trying to be pure and holy You will wear yourself out. But when you love him, it is empowering to seek after purity. It is forgiveness that gives you strength. And it is knowing that you are honoring him because you love him. You know, it's not unlike other relationships in which you love people. Think of someone that you love most and I know it's Easter you're supposed to say Jesus but you know think of somebody else who outside of Jesus for all spiritual folks do we love the most how do we respond to them do we respond to Jesus like we respond to the person that we love most does he get our attention like the person that we love most Do we want to make them proud? Do we want to make Jesus proud of us? You see, when we erase all of the religious junk and we get right to the heart of the matter, which is all about his love for us and our love for him, it really changes the whole conversation. It takes away all that need to be perfect, all that desire to do everything I'm supposed to do in order to please Him, and it replaces it with, What do I get? I get to do this with Jesus. This music that we sung this morning, oh my gosh, if we could do that every day, all day, how incredible that would be. That's what heaven's going to be like, I think, in one way. We're free. Gosh, I don't know if you could sit there and listen to that and not sing along or not feel something within you well up. You need to go get another cup of coffee or something. I don't know what you need. Many in the church, unfortunately, feel incredibly empty in their faith because they're trying to perform their religious duty to please Him. It's a very different distinction. There's a religious duty in order to try to please the one that will let me into heaven one day. Instead of living their life out of the love for him in which he has first shown them, it's a very different way of living life. It's a difference in being excited, even when things aren't going well. As you look at the apostles and what was going on in their lives, they worshiped him even in moments when their lives were. They loved him, they wanted to be with him. People feel empty in their faith because they try to perform their religious duty, but they just don't love Him, if we're honest. The reason there are so many people that just ever barely darken the door of a church or never spend time in God's Word or never have a single conversation with Him outside of someone else praying around them. The truth is is they're trying to perform their duty to please Him, but, but they just don't love Him. And that has got to be the saddest place to be in this world, to know the ruler of the world, the creator of the universe. And somehow try to do enough stuff to make him happy, but not to truly love it. That has, got to be, that has got to be the worst way to live your life. And it's no wonder that people walk away from their faith. Whenever we do this, we sometimes think, boy, I showed up to church today. God ought to bless me. Sometimes I do think that too as a pastor. So if you feel that way, don't feel bad. God, I showed up. I mean, come on. Can You make my day a little easier. God, I read my Bible a few minutes today. Well, maybe it was last week. It, it could have been a couple of months ago. I really can't remember what it was, but I do remember reading something while I was at Starbucks. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I don't want to make light. It, it is funny. I I laugh at myself some of the stupid things that I do but it really does poison us when we try to make these bargains with him When all he really seeks is for us to love him we would never do that with someone we were dating we would never do that with someone we were married to we would never do that with our children or our parents or our brothers or sisters or maybe you would you I don't know your parents your brothers and sisters maybe they're not all those great of people I don't know but we typically would not respond that way to someone we loved we were so we had so much fun last night, and oh my word, it was there were so many people in cars, and some of us need to repent of our lust for some of those cars that we saw it's just covetousness and it's bad it 's one of the commandments by the way, you, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's car, and <laughs> <clears throat> some of us are repentive uh, repentant this morning over that, but we're so exhausted over a lot of the stuff and prep and doing that and we're here this morning and this is so energizing but by the time we leave here I'll be tired and and we've got lunch with my family And we've got you know lunch like two hours later with Deidre's family and I'm looking at our day and we're like you know what we want to do we want to go go to we just want to go home and sit down and do nothing and I could call up my mom and say I love you but I just I can't make the trip to come up and see you I love you, but I just, we just would rather stay at home. We don't do that to the people we love. Instead, we say, you are more valuable than anything else. And I want to be with you, and I want to show you my love. And if you're here today, and you're just kind of glossing over, like, I don't know how that feels. I want you to know that if Jesus can raise a man from the dead... He can make your heart full with love for him. It's incredible what he wants to do in your life. I want to continue with our story because the story gets better as if it wasn't already good. Or let's before we do that, first John four nineteen talks about the fact that he did love us first. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love is supposed to spread out from us. It's a response to the world around us. We can respond to the world by consuming. What do I want? How do I get out of this world? Or we can respond to him and his love by loving And incredibly, he doesn't give us a whole lot of clarity on exactly all the steps we're supposed to do here. But instead, our heart must just take over. For people that are unlovable, we often have to love them before they will love us. When he says we're supposed to go out and love our brothers, we're supposed to love people in the church, we're supposed to love people outside of the church. There's a lot of people that don't love Christians. We're supposed to love them too. If we want to dig deeper, we're supposed to love our enemies and those who persecute us and those who hate us and those who want to take our lives from us. We're supposed to love them. That's what happens whenever you recognize a great love that Jesus has given us. He loves us. Romans five eight says that God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how He loves us. This was an act of love. I know some of your stories, and I've shared some of my story with you. And uh, I know that there are times that life it just stinks. Going to work, just, you just hate it. You come home and all the things you thought your family would be like, everybody's mad at everybody and you're at odds and you're fighting and you're just, it's tense and you're struggling. You had this big dream of what the world was going to be and the world didn't turn out to be the big dream. Life can struggle. The most powerful weapon you have in a life like that is the power of love. A few months ago we we took in a young girl into our house who needed a home you all know malia she's run running around here she probably she's either totally ignored you and made you feel inconsequential or she has hugged you and kissed you and wouldn't leave you alone you never know what you're going to get and that you may get both responses within about 30 seconds of, of each other when she first came into our home one of the first things we began to do was we began to just tell her we loved her we just showered her with love because she that's what she needed. For those of you who don't know her, she's three, she's young, she didn't really know how to process everything, but she knows that what she loved and what she had known she was pulled from and so Deidre, she's so much better at at loving than I am you know most most marriages it's that way, right? if my kids didn't have her. They would probably be in trouble with just me. You know, she fixes my stuff that I do to the kids. Jake will probably attest to this later. She's much better at loving. One of the things that Malia loves to do is to sing. And the very first song we taught her was Jesus Loves Me because we wanted her to know that Jesus loved her. And so this has become what she does every single night. She let me record her one night. Go ahead and watch this. Yeah. She sings this song all the time, all the time. When I mean, she's supposed to be in bed asleep. We'll walk by and she's singing this song in her bed. It has just resonated with her. Now, she sings a lot of songs. She also, the Moana songs are her favorite too. So I don't want to over-spiritualize Malia. <laughs> but she sings this song all the time. And you notice the smile on her face as she sang. Every single time she sings it, she smiles. There's just something about the reality that He loves us. That it brings us hope and joy and freedom from pain and suffering. His love is absolutely overwhelming. And sometimes what is most needed for us to bring laser focus to a life that's messy and distracted and busy and all over the place is something so simple that a child can sing it to put themselves to sleep at night. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. See, all, a lot of the stuff that we do, all, all these extra stuff that we do as a church, it all fails in comparison to the central role of us loving Jesus and letting other people know that they are loved and that they can love him back. That is the central message of everything that we do. And as we look at the story of Easter, the, the crux of the story is this. That Jesus gave his life to demonstrate his love. He gave his life to demonstrate his love. i want to back up. I've skipped a whole bunch of slides, Ethan. I'm going to mess you up. Luke 7, back to verse 40. Let me continue this story. And Jesus answering said to him, this is Simon, who has just said, don't you know who this woman is? Don't you know what she's done? I have something to say to you, which I, when, if you know any super religious people that, you know, flip their nose up at anybody, you kind of read this with a little bit of attitude, right? You read, you know, you read Jesus' word, you know, Simon, I have something to say to you with a little bit, little edge to it because you know how it feels. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Because you know Simon really doesn't care. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it at this point. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now imagine what he's saying is not, do you notice she's in the room, physical presence right there. Can you see her facial features, her hair, her clothing? That is not what he means. Do you see this woman? Because Jesus saw something that he didn't see. And as you look in the mirror and you look at all of your mistakes and you look at all of the things that make you unlovable, Jesus sees something different. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was customary when you had an honored guest come into your home. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, also customary. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, also customary. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she, what does it say? If that doesn't shake up your understanding of the gospel, then nothing else will. She loved much. It's incredible how pervasive the concept of love is throughout Scripture. Verse 47 says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began say, to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When I read this, there's a little piece of me that kind of kind of withers and whimpers. For those who recognize how much they have been loved, they love much. For those who do not recognize how much they have been loved, they love much little. This is one of the reasons that you have some people that their entire life gets wrapped around their faith in Christ, and you have others that say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I want, I want him to forgive me for my sins, and I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to wrap my whole life around him. The difference is the person that knows how broken they are, and how much they've, God has forgiven in them, and the person who really doesn't think there's that much to forgive. That's what Jesus is trying to, sh- to show Simon. She loved much because she knows how great a gift he was to her. She loved him much because she knew that he was the only man in that town that would have shown her any love outside of what they wanted selfishly just for themselves. He was the only one that would come and show her value, that would tell her, you are worthwhile. And while you may be sitting here thinking, oh, if I knew a prostitute, and some of you do, and you won't admit it. Let's be honest. I don't know how you know them. I, we had some guests yesterday, and we had a police officer that was here, someone, some friends of, of some of our, our uh, attenders here. And I said, you know, you look really familiar, but I can't place it. He said, well, I am a police officer. Oh, gosh. Well, no, I don't I don't recognize you at all. I've never seen you before. Did I pull you over before? No, I, <laughs> I got to go. Um, it was a nice meeting you. Have fun. <laughs> you, you know. Some of you are thinking, I don't know a prostitute. I would totally do that if I knew a prostitute. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to go find me a prostitute. Don't do that and do not say, my pastor told me to go meet a prostitute. Do not say that and our rumors get started. However, you know somebody that needs to be loved. That no one else loves. That you don't even want to love. And yet they are in just as much need as she was they were just as unlovely as she was and yet Jesus loved her and if we love Jesus we will love her and love them too that's what it means to know him that's what easter is all that's what easter is all about jesus gave his life to demonstrate his love for us as we read as, as Scott read the, the Lord's Supper, I just want you to, to, I just want to read this one more time, and I want you to hear what it says. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup, and when he had given, them, given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out. For, many of the, for for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There is value in recognizing the brokenness of Christ because when we love Him, we become associated with Him in His death. We become broken too. Jesus was pouring out His life in a new covenant for us, and He has called us to pour our lives out for others too. As we look through the New Testament, we see that over and over and over again. Paul himself says, I have poured myself out as an offering. Why would a person choose a lifestyle of being broken and pouring themselves out? I'll tell you, they won't. No one will, unless they love Jesus. When you see somebody who is repentant, it's easy to go, I'm to get their stuff together. But the truth is, they probably know Jesus better than we do. We choose to be broken and poured out. I want to leave a few things with you, and I also want to invite you to join us for the rest of this series because this is Deidre and I, we we sat down last night, we were talking just about Easter and all the busyness, and sometimes it's hard to truly experience the the true meaning for the season when you're busy doing so many things. And so we just were talking about the truth of all of this and what it means to us. And when we get tired, how much we have to remember that our service is about loving Jesus. It's not about fulfilling a role, just loving him because he's loved us. Some of you came yesterday and you were tired and Poor Donna, she came. Donna's in here. I think she's here somewhere. She came. She'd been at another car show all day. She was wore out. She came and made coffee till late at night last night. She was sitting back there wore out. We've got to remember when we do these things, we do them because we love, not because we have a role to play. Communion is so crucial. This is what I want to leave you with. I want you to leave here knowing, and if this is your first time with us, then we're so glad you can. We hope it won't be your last. But You are fully loved by Jesus. You don't have to do anything to attain that. You, in your current state, are fully loved by Jesus. For those of you who come to church every Sunday, but you know your heart is dead. You come because that's your duty I'm trying to please him. I'm trying to make him happy. So I'll get into heaven one day. I want you to know you are fully loved right where you are. You will never do enough to please him on your own efforts because that's not what he was here for. He was here to love you and that you would love him back. For those of you and you're in the middle of stuff that you know you need to give up. Your life is a wreck. It is a mess. You know it. You are fully loved. Right as you are. I encourage you. I invite you to love him back. Jesus gave his life for you. So that no matter what's going on in your life. You can be made right with God. And that you could experience his love not just experience it but you could give it away as well and if you were here today and you were broken and you're ashamed of how broken you are and you don't want anybody to know you've got a good face going right now they think you've got things together but you are broken i want you to know you can be made whole through jesus you don't have to pretend you don't have to act like you've got it all together that's not how that's not why jesus loves you Jesus loves Mark because Mark's got it all together. Well, Mark's in big trouble then. I'll tell you that right now. Jesus loves you. He loves you wholly. He loves you fully, and he can make you whole. If you know Jesus and you love him, then what I'm about to say you already know to be true. But When you love Jesus, you will devote your entire life to knowing him and following him. And we, we do our best not to guilt or shame anybody into anything around here. We sometimes, to a fault, don't do enough for accountability because we don't want to shame or guilt anyone because, because this is what we know. Shame and guilt does nothing. It's worthless. It is a tool of the enemy. It is not a tool of Christ. I can shame and guilt you into coming to church. I can tell you your salvation depends on you sitting in that seat. If you never invited anybody to church, then Jesus is not gonna invite you into the gates of heaven. That would be a good sermon, wouldn't it? A good outreach Sunday, Pack a pew Sunday. If we do it out of guilt, if we do it because we feel guilty, it's worthless. It's worthless. Jesus never makes us feel guilty, Jesus removes guilt. And so I want you to know that Jesus loves you. If you love him, you will want to spend your entire life knowing him and following him. It's just, it's what we do. It's kind of like when Deidre and I got married, I didn't say, well, I really, I still want to live with my parents. um, But, you know, if you want to live with your parents, that's fine. Or get your own spot, that's fine. And I'm really glad we're married. But I really don't, I don't really want us to live together. You know, I hear there's love at first sight. But if you never ask anybody out on a date, it's unlikely they're going to say they want to marry you. When we love people, we want to spend time with them. When we love Jesus, we want to worship Him. Whenever we've experienced His healing through our brokenness, we want to experience Him more. And so whenever I I spend time in God's Word, it's not because I feel like, man, God is going to be mad at me if I don't read the Bible. Nor is it man, God may make my week go better if I read a few extra verses this today. doesn't happen. That is not how God works. But instead, I read it because I want to know Him. When I read something that I am in conflict with, my life does not bear out what I'm reading, then I struggle with it. I, I don't struggle with it because I'm afraid He's going to kick me out of heaven. I struggle with it because I want I want to honor Him because I love Him. Not because I have to do it. Not because there's some checkbook for, for pastors. Like i got to fill in my survey and some group is going to decide, well, Martin didn't read enough verses. He, he's out of here. I do it because I love Him. Whenever we encourage you to, to spend time in God's Word, if you do it only because you're going to feel bad if you don't, I, I understand that. When I don't spend time in God's Word, I feel bad. But not because I'm in trouble, because I didn't spend time with Him that day. And it's like when I go through a day and I'll get up early in the morning and i got to work through the day and through the night. And I go home and I get in bed and I've not seen any of my kids that day, which doesn't not happen very often. But on those days, I lay in my bed and I say, "I I didn't spend any time with them today. That's the way it is with my relationship with Jesus. That's the way he wants your relationship to be with Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus loves you with an earth-shattering love just as you are. But I want to ask you this. Will you choose to love him back? Will you choose to love him back? Do you recognize what he's forgiven us for? Do you recognize the gift that He's given us on the cross? Do you recognize that He wants to be a part of every moment of your life, not just in heaven, but from this day forward? Will you love Him back? This morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're, you are on your own walk of faith, where you are in your own life with Christ. I don't know what's going on with your family or what's going on at work. I don't know if you're feeling good about stuff or bad. I don't know where you are in any of this. But I do know this, that Jesus loves you unconditionally, and he is ready for you to respond to him at any moment. And so this morning we're going to do something that we don't normally do on Sunday mornings. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning because there may be somebody here that says, I am done with doing religious duty. What I want is to know Jesus. So we want to give you an opportunity to do that. In addition, here's what I want to challenge some of you to do. In a few weeks, I'm not sure when, but in a few short weeks... We've got several that are waiting to be baptized, and we're going to have a baptismal service. Some of you have given your hearts to Christ, but you've never been baptized. Or some of you have come from a tradition that you were baptized before you knew what it meant, and you never really got baptized as a result of your own decision to follow Christ. And so I want to encourage you that now is the time. We don't get baptized to get into heaven. That's not what baptism is. We don't don't get baptized to complete our salvation. Once you begin to understand what sanctification is, then you begin to understand that you're going to have to grow for the rest of your life. And that's exciting for me. I know that tomorrow will be better than today. And I know that 10 years from now, if I'm still alive, will be better than right now. I will be farther along. It's a process. Baptism is not the thing that seals your salvation. It is the announcement to the world that you know he loves you he has forgiven you and you love him back that's very simplistic but that's what it is it's whenever we become like him in his death in his burial his resurrection when we hold you under and we like to hold you under a little bit longer no not true not true Scott does I don't Scott will keep you under for a while but we are associated with him in his death we go under the water I'm dying to my sin. I'm dying to my old self. We come out of the water. We're raised a new creation like Jesus when He walked out of the tomb. We are associated with Him in life. And when that moment happens whether you've been baptized or not, when you accept Him as your Savior, one of the things that Scripture tells us is that you receive immediately the Holy Spirit in your heart and unlocks all the secrets to Scripture. It takes time and effort to get dig into His Word, but He will work with you to unlock His Word in your life. And you will experience heaven one day, but you will experience heaven on earth with Him. Because it's not just a future promise, it is an immediate promise that you will be with Jesus forever from that moment. When we were baptized, we do that because we love him. And he said, I want you to be baptized if you love me, if you want to follow me. And so that's why we do it. So in in this next song that we're going to sing, I want to invite you, I'll be up here, Scott, if you'll kind of hang up here. We'd love to, to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Christ, you know, we don't have to, be here to do that but we want to be here with you if you want to do that if that was a time that you're ready to be baptized come up and talk to us let us know and then we'll talk to you and, and and explain further before our baptismal service or you can grab a connection card that's out in the in the lobby you can fill that out and just stick it in the offering bucket that's about to come around you can the bucket will be outside on that chair you just drop it in there or bring it to me or scott or something and we want to talk to you if you do want to give your life to Christ, but you're not someone who wants to come down front, hey, I'm telling you, come down front. Let the world know. Then you can mark that on a, communi- a communication card. We'll follow up with you as well. Jesus loves you fully, holy, right where you are. His invitation is, do you love him back? Would you pray with me, Father? God, I thank you that we can celebrate this incredible time together. I thank you that we have the opportunity to worship in this beautiful place. And I thank you for all of our friends, both old and new, that we get to be a part of in our lives. God, I am most thankful that you loved us and that you have shown us that love so immensely and incredibly. Father, I pray for those that are in this room and they have somehow grown up believing that they have to be good enough to be loved by you. And I pray that you would shatter that belief within them so they could know that they are loved wholly and completely right at this moment. Father, I pray for those that are in this room. Their hearts have grown stale. They know you love them. But all the busyness of the world, all the, 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 the difficulties that they struggle with, all the distractions and all the disappointments have clouded their heart in which it's so difficult to love you through those things. I pray that you would you would help them to break free from those distractions so that they can fully love you. Pray for those in this room that they They are ready to give their heart to Christ. Give them the courage to take that step to experience what it means to fully know you. Father, I pray as we sing this song that whether we are wholeheartedly sold out to you or whether we're just curious but we know we need a change in our life. Father, we have decided to follow you. For us, there is no turning back. This is the life you have called us to, and we welcome it and walk into it. We thank you that you have issued a call to us. Help us to love you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.